1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Well, that will be our text um, for today as we just continue to dive into worship of God and celebrate what he's done in us and through us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. If you do not have a Bible, uh, the text will be on the screen, but also in the seat backs in front of you, there's a black hardback Bible. That's the version that I'm reading from, and we're on page 986 in that Bible, page 986. If you're with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, simply say amen. Verse 1 says this, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of of Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Author Christopher DeVink says this, Gratitude is the exclamation point after the narration of our lives. Whether we are grateful for big things, life, liberty, love, or grateful for small things, chocolate, pizza. He didn't say pizza. I said pizza. We're, we're simply creatures on this earth who can ar- articulate. We are the only creatures on this earth who can articulate that sense of appreciation with words of thanksgiving. According to a joint study between the World Health Organization and UNICEF, one in nine people in the world don't have access to safe and clean drinking water. I shower every morning. I wash my car. I'll water my yard. We have many things to be grateful for. Also, according to the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization, one in nine people go to bed hungry. And then you and I get to choose between options. We have many things to be grateful for. In Thornton Wilder's 1938 play of our town, the character named Emily, having been given one day to return to the world after death, she would say this. She cries out, goodbye, Grover's Corner, Mama and Papa, goodbye to clocks ticking and my butternut tree and Mama's sunflowers and food and coffee and the new iron dresses and hot baths and sleeping and waking up. Of earth, you're too wonderful for anyone to realize you. Do any human beings ever realize life while they live it every, every minute? We have many things to be grateful for. If you got a sermon handout, it's in the bulletin. you got an announcements on one side and just kind of an outline on the sermon on the other. Here's the main point or the target statement from this text and from this sermon. Is that we can give thanks to God always. That we can give thanks to God always. I gave an illustration in the intro of of things that we can be thankful for, whether it be food and water or just the uh, many blessings in this life. 
But this isn't the point of today's sermon to talk about all the many things we have blessings in this world, but specifically to talk about the blessing and what we can be grateful for to God for what ultimately he has done for us as individuals. And as we reflect on that, we can celebrate what God has done for us as a church with the target statement being we can give thanks to God always. Verse 2 says, we can give thanks to God always for all of you. Paul, Silas, and Timothy writing to the church in Thessalonica, just saying a word of encouragement. We give thanks to you. It's the reason why I chose this text, because when I think about what to say on a 25-year anniversary of a church, as a pastor, I've pastored here for five years to be able to think and go, I am grateful for you. And as Paul is saying to the church in Thessalonica, and he gives reasons that we're going to unpack of why he is grateful for them, but he's saying, I give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in my prayers and remembering before our God and Father the work of faith and the labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. I will summarize, I believe in chapter 1, he says that we can give thanks to God for two reasons. And the first is this. Why can we give thanks to God always as believers and as a church? First, for what God has done in us. Look at and notice what he says in verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. What has God done in us? First, verse 4 tells us that he has chosen us. And what has he chosen us from? Or what has he chosen us for? Verse 10 says that he delivers us from the wrath to come. When we begin to think about choosing and God's choosing, it's such an encouragement. I give this illustration. I love all my children. Don't, if you take away from this illustration that I don't love all my children, you're missing the point. So preface, I love all my children. But one of the uh, ideas and one of the ways that I can illustrate is with our daughter who's adopted is that I had the privilege of getting to choose her. I had the privilege of getting to say, that based off different circumstances, that's not the point of the illustration, but based off different things, I'm able, my wife and I had an opportunity to go, we could choose to say we want you or not want you, we can adopt you and not adopt you. And we said, no, we love you and we care for you and we choose you and we want to adopt you and bring you into our family. It's this picture of, of parents and of a loving father who looks out and says, I want you. And Paul is saying, I give thanks to them, I give thanks to God for what God has done in you. You have a a work of faith and a labor of love and steadfastness of hope. And we can be thankful to God because that he has chosen us. We did not first choose him, but he chose us. All of us with sinful nature, Romans 3 says that all of us have turned aside and all of us have gone away. None of us have chosen him. Ultimately, he first chose us. We've been memorizing John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, together as a congregation as we're walking through the Gospel of John, but verse 14 comes to mind, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We have a God who has chosen us and has sought after us. Not only has He chosen us, but verse 5 says that He has saved us. Summarizing, but look at verse 5. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you. How do we know and how does 
how does Paul say to them, God has chosen you, and I know he's chosen you, because when the word of God came to you, it came to you in great power and conviction, and ultimately, he established you, and you turned to him in salvation. You and I can give thanks to God for what he has done in us. What has he done in us? He has chosen us, and he has saved us. He gave his son as an offering for you and I. I gave the introduction that we can be grateful for many things, and I am grateful for many things. But let us see here when Paul is writing an encouraging letter and I as a pastor speaking on behalf of 25 years as a church, first and foremost, we are grateful for what God has done in us individually in salvation and what he's done in our congregation. He has saved you. He has said, I want you. He has sought you. He gave his life. He paid the price and he has rescued you and saved you. And here's the truth. As we think about the many things to be grateful for, If Jesus did nothing else but save us, that is enough to be grateful for. If he has given us nothing else, salvation in Jesus is enough. The rescuing and to be known by him and to know him is enough. So how can we as individuals in our congregation, no matter what comes our way, be able to say we can give thanks to God? Because he has given his life to rescue us and to walk us into relationship with him by his grace. Nothing we've earned or nothing we deserved. But that's enough. That's enough to be grateful for. So church family, we can thank God always. We can give thanks to him. He has chosen us, verse 4 says. He has saved us, paraphrasing verse 5 and verse 6. Not only has he rescued us, but he has transformed us. Look what verse 6 says. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. You received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. How do you, Pastor, how are you getting transformation from that? Because they became imitators. They were no longer walking and doing things their way, but instead they saw the faithfulness of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And ultimately, as Paul, Silas, and Timothy said, follow me as I follow Christ, they looked on Christ. And 1 Corinthians tells us that we all with unveiled faces behold in the glory of the Lord. When we fix our eyes on him, they're being transformed back into his image, one degree of glory to another. So to imitate him is to become like him. It's this transformation. And Paul's saying, we can give thanks to God because he singled you out. He saw you. He chose you. He sought after you. He paid the price. He saved you. He loved you right where you are. But he loved you too much to leave you there. And he rescued you. And then he began to transform your life. Church family, we can give thanks to God always for many things over the last 25 years. But let us give thanks to God ultimately for the fact of what he has done in us in salvation through Jesus. Gratitude is a natural response, should be a natural response to our salvation. Illustration, imagine you fall off the side of an ocean liner, uh, heaven forbid, for those who go on a cruise and things like that. Imagine you fall off the side of an ocean liner and you don't know how to swim and you begin to drown. Someone on the deck spots you flailing around in the water, screaming and acting crazy and they throw you a life preserver. It lands directly in front of you, and you go and you grab it right before you lose consciousness, and you hang on to dear life, and they pull you back on board. You cough out the water in your lungs, and you finally get your breath back. People are gathering around and rejoicing that you are safe, waiting expectantly for what you're going to say. And you say this, did you guys see how good I grabbed onto that life preserver? I mean, like... Did you see my biceps? Like, that was, like I, I was hanging on tight, man. Like, that was impressive. Like, when y'all had to pull me up, I had to hold my weight, you know, as you continue to pull me up. 
Needless to say, that would be a bewildering and borderline insane response. A much more likely chain of events is that you would immediately seek out the person who threw the life preserver to you and you would thank them. See, salvation should lead to a natural response of gratitude. And this is what Paul is saying, Paul's house and Timothy's are writing, is that we can give thanks to God because he has rescued us. Look what he has done for us. Gratitude as a natural response to salvation requires no coercion or encouragement. It's just a natural response. You have to celebrate your salvation constantly. We give thanks to God always, and let us never forget that we can praise him for what he has done. This means we say thank you to God for choosing us and saving us and transforming us, and we say thank you to all who help remind us of that salvation. One of the reasons we put an emphasis on the gathering of the body, better yet, one of the reasons the Bible puts an emphasis on the gathering of the body is because we can encourage one another up to loving good works that we can remind each other of the salvation. We can get together and help one another not fix our eyes on the things of this world, but fix our eyes on Jesus. And so New Hope, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for personally, as just a member of this body, I'm grateful for the brothers and sisters who have invested in my life and in my family. I'm grateful for every single one of you who love on my children. I say it all the time. It's real easy to love people who love my children. And I'm just grateful for how you have encouraged my children and how you have taught them and discipled them. I'm grateful for the brothers who uh, see me as their pastor, but also see me as a friend and will speak life into me. And at times, tough truths into my life because I'm not perfect and I need brothers in my life as well. I'm grateful for you because you continue to remind me of the goodness and grace in Jesus. I'm grateful for all of you who have served to help get New Hope to where it is today in your faithfulness. I am grateful for you because I'm grateful for what Jesus has done in my life and salvation and what Jesus has done in your life as well. Second, we can, be, we can give thanks to God always for what he has done in us. And second, for what he has done through us. Look at verse 7. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Begin to notice that he transitions from what has happened to you to now what you are doing. And so for what has God done through us is that, and I'm switching to you here because it's a picture, an invitation. When, we, when God works through us, it's an invitation to be a part of what he's doing and his plan of redemption to advance his kingdom here in this world and and therefore, I put it from our perspective. You, New Hope, have set an example. Why am I grateful for what God has done through you? Because you have set an example in many things. One of the things that, and it may just be because I didn't grow up in Queens, and there's not many places like Queens, but one of the things that I continue, I'm just practically speaking, floored by that you set an example of, is that there are 24 different countries represented in our membership. Even for Queens, that's a beautiful picture of diversity. And I remember I was here about three months and I was preaching and right over here, as I was getting to know people, I remember looking over and I remember seeing someone with a very politically liberal presidential hoodie on sitting next to someone who I know is not liberal, who is on the other side, Republican. And I remember preaching going, that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing that we're not gathered together because of our political opinions. 
We're not gathered together because of our ethnicity or culture. We're not gathered together because of our social economic status. We are gathered together for one reason and one reason only, Jesus. And I love the diversity and the example that New Hope is setting. I love the example and the diversity that you, or the example you're setting when it comes to hospitality. You know, when we, a couple years ago, went through the vision process and we said, what are our values? There were some values that we talked about that were somewhat aspirational. These were values that we wanted to be that weren't quite there yet. But most of the values were like, these, these are our values, we're naming them because they're already existent. And one of those was hospitality. The way you all love people, I think, sets a beautiful example. What has God done through us is, Paul is saying, as the church has set an example, a new hope, you have set an example. Look at verse 8. He continues on, though. What else has God done through the church in Thessalonica? Look at verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. You have preached the gospel. You notice I'm being very contextual to us here as well, taking the text. When it says that they need not say anything, it's because their reputation has gone forth. The way that they have served on mission and the way they've been faithful to the things of God, that they didn't go from town to town and Paul's having to say, hey, let me tell you about this church. People had already heard about it. God was doing a work because of the faithfulness of the church, the generosity of the church. And they went and they served and they preached to the point that people already knew about them, that Paul need not say anything. And New Hope, when I think about what I'm grateful for, for what God's done in us and through us, is that we did some math recently. And to the best estimates of our, all our financial records is in the last 25 years that we've given f- approximately $520,000 just straight to missions and missions partners. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for a church that says that success is not about what happens here, but about what we do and how we give and how we serve. That success is not determined by what we have, but what we give away. Success is not determined by what's, who's sitting in these seats, but how many people we send out of these seats. $520,000 for a small little church in Queens, it's a lot of money. We've had the privilege of serving in mission trips in Bangladesh, Mexico, Guatemala, and then Charles and I are going to Kenya in a couple of months. And we even have uh, Pastor Lytton in ministry in uh, Bangladesh and here in church planting. And we, I'm just grateful for our partners, Global Missions. Take a moment, and we talked about uh, Pastor Larry who helped plant the church. But he's gone on and has been a part of planting other churches the heart of planting a church in Jackson Heights. And we have Jim and Camille Samuel who are here, who are part of our congregation, went out and planted. But I'm grateful for global and I'm grateful for local of what God is doing through us. Grateful for that. And then all of us, as we think about local missions, what comes to mind for us, as I think back the last 25 years and more even recently, is our summer blast ministry and being able to you, and it takes everybody in this congregation. It takes time, it takes money, it takes resources to go and run VBS in the parks in multiple locations all in the same week. I'm grateful for what God is doing through us. We can give thanks to God always. We can be grateful for what he's done in us and what he's done through us. You've set an example, you've preached the gospel, and you have served the living and true God. Look at verse 9. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. We say this statement at New Hope 
what you pursue above all is what you worship above all. Our mission statement here is that we want to connect people to a life satisfied in Jesus. Because we live in a city where people are trying to find their satisfactions and everything else. And we want to, we want to yell to, from the rooftops. And we want to proclaim that salvation and satisfaction is in Jesus. And you have set an example, New Hope. And I encourage us to continue to do so. That what God's done through us is he has turned our hearts. And what he's done through us, he's turned our hearts to serve a living and true God. Idolatry is the topic here. Idolatry is oftentimes misguided gratitude. The essence of sin is, can be described this way. There's a number of ways, but one of them is misguided gratitude. Not ingratitude, but misguided gratitude. As dependent creatures, we all by nature think somebody or something, it's usually ourselves, for what we experience and achieve. And the ultimate object of our gratitude becomes the object of our worship. In turn, the object of our gratitude becomes the object that we serve, we give our lives to, since we inevitably serve whatever or whomever we think will meet our needs and satisfy us. That's one of the reasons why we continue to preach. We want to connect people to a life satisfied in Jesus. We want you to find your satisfaction in Jesus. Idolatry, whether in the old ancient, ancient times here in the text or modern idolatry, it's just simply a futile attempt to look for our lives and find our meaning in anyone or anything other than the creator and the provider. Ask questions to yourself like this of who do you worship? Like, who do I think when things go well? Who do I turn to and give gratitude to? To whom do I look when things go badly? What is the source of my security? Where do I gain my sense of worth in the world? What I am striving to achieve in life and why? What is it? The answers to these questions will just determine what we're putting our hope in and ultimately what we're grateful for most. And what I want to encourage us with is the text wants to encourage us with, we can give thanks to God always. Our takeaway statement is simply a retelling of the target statement, is give thanks to God for your salvation and inviting you to participate in his mission. Over the last 25 years, there's a lot to be grateful for. But more than anything else, church family, I'm grateful that God has saved me and has saved you, and that he's invited us into his mission here in this city and around the world. As we think about the last 25 years, I can't help but to think about the next 25 years. Our mission is not done. We have this vision cube. All of you have this somewhere in your home. I was at a member's house yesterday, and I walk in and saw it on the front door. I was a proud pastor. I was like, yes. But this vision cube tells us a little bit. It reminds us of our values and our mission but it also has our vision on it, which says this, in the next five years, we'll pursue leadership multiplication that'll open doors to gospel saturation to Queens and Nassau County. Why? Because we've said we want to see 1% of Queens come to know Christ. That's 24,000 people, which immediately makes us go, come on, like, look at us. We're just a small church. Exactly. We look at Mark chapter 4 in the kingdom of God, God gives parables. Jesus tells parables about things that are small and multiply. When we think about 24,000 people come to know Christ, that's Arthur Ashe Stadium. U.S. Open seats 24,000 people. We should immediately go, new hope cannot accomplish that. And that's exactly what our response would be. Which is why we focus on leadership multiplication, kingdom collaboration. We want to see new hope and other churches multiply. We want to see disciples multiply. So in the next seven years, we will pursue that. 
as a church, as we think about if we get to be in this moment and celebrate the 50-year anniversary, I look back and pray that these are the things that will continue to guide us, that will focus on that leadership multiplication for the sake of geographic saturation. On this vision cube, we have four goals that we're trying to accomplish as a church to help us go in that direction. One is we want to see a clear leadership pipeline established. We want to see an evangelism culture more so within our congregation. We want to enhance our family ministries because you all have kids and this, our community has kids and we want to be a part of seeing the next generation and investing in them. It's one of the reasons why we invested a lot of money to renovate the basement this year because it was not a very clean and safe learning environment for our kids. And so we cleaned it up and we made it nicer and we put carpet for a number of reasons. It looked nicer and two, it stopped the echo a little bit. For those who served in kids ministry before we put carpet, like it was like, it was, it was loud. I remember the first time I went down there as a pastor, it was so loud. I, I couldn't pay attention to anything that's going on. I was like, how do y'all do this every week? And the response was, we just got used to it. And I remember thinking, no, we're not just going to get used to it. And so we're continuing to do things, small things, to enhance kids' ministry, but that's just renovations. We're doing other things, and we thank you for you continuing to serve in our kids and for those who serve in kids' ministry. And lastly, our fourth goal is that we want to plan a church in that, and this is, we're now about to start year three of these three-year goals. And we're on the verge of potentially seeing one or two church plants happen, and we're so grateful for that. I'm so excited for the next 25 years. As many of you know, who have had the privilege of worshiping here for many years, some of you have recently heard that we've begun conversations about potentially buying this building, and we're grateful for that, and how might the Lord potentially provide for us for the next 25 years. We've got a lot of things that we are excited about in the next 25 years, and I just want to invite you to continue to be a part of what God's doing in this city but hear me say this, because this is, this is true. Because many of you in here are no longer members of New Hope. And you go to other churches for various reasons. And I want to say, I'm so glad you came back to celebrate us. But I want you to hear me say, is that what the mission we are a part of is not New Hope's mission. It, it's, it's the church's mission. And I'm so grateful for many of you who have gone out to plant other churches and serve alongside other churches because this, our goal and our dream of seeing 1% of queens come to know Christ is not going to happen through New Hope. It's going to happen through the churches coming together as one body. And so we're so grateful that you're here with us, but we are not necessarily saying, hey, come be a part of us. No, where you are at your church, what you're doing, faithfully serve as we kingdom collaboration together. Let's continue to be a church that lives sent, and let's continue to connect people to a life satisfied in Jesus. Amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is NYC. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.